Today's just a great day for me. Uh, I get to introduce one of my longtime friends and uh, brothers in the Lord, uh, Aaron Santmeyer. You know, when I think of a verse, if I had to think of a verse that, that describes you, Aaron, Paul, when he's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, at the very beginning of, of 2 Timothy, he talks about that, I really want to see you. And I think a lot of times when Aaron's overseas, I really want to see him. And even when he's in the United States, I don't get to see him as much as I would like. And uh, we're going to get together this week, I hope. But Paul says, you know, I desire greatly to see you, but it brings me great joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Of course, he says it was passed down from his mother and his grandmother. And I know Aaron's mom is here today and dad. Glad to have you guys with us today. As my podcast starts playing. Oh, speaking of which, Aaron has a podcast. You guys know that? Called Clarity, the Clarity Podcast. But I want to say that, that Aaron is a man of God that carries... Not just faith, but genuine faith. It's a faith Paul spoke about that existed in Timothy, something that became a legacy from his grandmother to his mother and then was in and present in him. And, and something that's genuine is something that can be evidenced by, by other people. And the word actually means, in the Greek, it means without hypocrisy. And it means that you're a person that lives the life that you speak about. And I can attest for the time that I've known you, you're as genuine and authentic a man as I've met. I look up to you, I honor you, I respect you, um, and you, your life demonstrates what, uh, what the life of Jesus looks like. So Aaron, I'd like to invite you up today. Aaron's no stranger. Let's give Aaron a big welcome. Aaron's no stranger to City Reach. I believe this is your third time here. It is. Yep, three times. So we're, we're so glad to have you back. Uh, Aaron has been, if you're not uh, familiar with Aaron or your first time here to hear, Aaron's been a missionary with the Assemblies of God for, I believe, 20, 20, 22, years. 22 years, serving in Africa. He served in the countries of Burkina Faso, Madagascar, and now Kenya. Uh, Aaron was the first person to ever invite me to, to preach uh, overseas. And I, I got to go to Madagascar in 2014, and I'm forever grateful for that. Uh, I was telling you, you guys know that lately we've been talking about this, ask better questions. Uh, and, and so the more questions you ask, the, the better answers you're going to get. And I probably first learned this in, in Madagascar because I said, what are we doing? Aaron said, we're going to preach in the bush. So I, I just accepted that to mean what I thought it meant, which we would just kind of walk out the door, part the bushes, and start preaching to somebody. Well, the next thing I know, we're at an airport with a rickety six-seater plane, and I was like, wonder who's getting in that thing? Uh, he said, you are. Uh, and after we, uh, I think it was MAF, Missionary Aviation Fellowship, but I, I came to find out that MAF stood for Mountains Activate Faith. <laughs> Because as we're going over the mountains, I was praying in the spirit, I was binding and loosing, and uh, it really drew faith out of me that I didn't know that I had. It does. Uh, 
Uh, and then we, I, and I should have asked more questions at that point, but I'd kept my mouth shut. And, and as we come to what he calls the bush, it's a dirt airstrip. And the, the, the airplane is circling. And the weather, I'm like, well, why are we circling? Because we got to wait till the zebu, which are these big cows with horns, get off the airstrip. So we circle until they get the cows out of the way, and, and then we land. He goes, okay, it's time to go preach. And I was about ready to vomit, but... Uh, you did it. You did it. <laughs> we did. So ask better questions. Ask better questions. Ask better questions. But uh, Aaron has a podcast. Uh, I encourage you to download it, listen to it. Aaron's also a, uh, he's a doctor of nursing. He's a doctor, doctorate from uh, WVU. Although he's secretly a Maryland fan. I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> uh, he loves his West Virginia uh, Mountaineers. And Aaron has spent his life as a missionary caring for people. Specifically, he deals a lot with skin diseases. And um, so he's, uh, he's just, uh, just loves the Lord. He's got a good word for us today. We're excited to hear from him. So I just want to say welcome you. I love you. I bless you. Thank you. Honor you, my friend. Excited to hear what God's laid on your heart today. It's an honor to be with you all today. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here. Um, yeah, it's and it's great to have my family. My daughter Isabel, wife Heather, son Josiah, they're here. My parents are here. It's friends and family. So it's it's an honor to be back in and where I'm from. Um, my wife doesn't necessarily claim West Virginia is the place that she's from, but I, I claim West Virginia for where where I'm from. So as Fred shared, we are we are missionaries in Africa. Um, we've been there for the last 22 years. It's been an honor to see our kids grow up, be born and raised in a different culture, different environment, in an, a place where we're sharing the love of Jesus Christ. So you think, what does, what does Africa missions look like? What do, what, does, what do you do? What's your focus? Our focus and goal is to see a healthy church planted in walking distance of every African. A healthy church planted in walking distance of every African. Because we really believe the hope of the world, we're going to talk a little bit later about the hope. We believe the hope is Jesus Christ. And we can have different programs, you can have different things, governmental programs, but the reality of it is a healthy church in a community impacts that community and changes the spiritual environment. You can change physical environment, maybe with food, but the spiritual environment is what's going to last forever. And we believe a healthy church in that environment is what's going to do that. They say, how does that work? Well, there's, there's actually three different ways we do it. Live Dead is where we have teams that go in and pioneer, and they plant the church where it doesn't exist, where there's no church. Majority of the time, that's in Islamic context, where it's, the teams are persecuted. They can't go in with a badge that says, I'm a missionary. They have to go in, under, normally under, under a business, and they work in that environment to share the love of Jesus Christ. So they're planting the church. Planting, there's no church. Cumberland, Maryland, there's lots of churches. But in these environments, there are islands in the Indian Ocean where we serve where there is not a church. And if you can imagine many mosques, five times a day, you're hearing the call to prayer, but you're not hearing or not seeing churches. So that's live dead. That's planting the church where it doesn't exist. Urban tribes, urban tribes is planting the church in gateway cities. Africa is continually becoming urbanized, meaning the majority of, of Africans are moving into these larger cities. We live in Nairobi, Kenya now. You probably think, wow, there's giraffe and there's elephants. It's 5 million people. So you can imagine a city of 5 million people. That's a lot of people. And people continue to come into these urban environments. But the reality of it is, this is where they're shaping their culture. And the idea of planting a church in a gateway city is that you're, you're helping influence the culture shapers for Jesus Christ. 
and if they can go and shape the culture and in their influence shape that, and so that's what urban tribes like. NC squared is what we call National Church Square, meaning that a, a missionary partners with a church that already exists, and that's what you would think with traditional missions, which would be Bible schools, working along children's ministry, university ministry, those discipleship. That's the traditional things that missionaries have done in the past. So that is the three things is we want to see a healthy church within walking distance of every African, and that's how we go about it. So it's not just this idea Fred talked about asking, asking good questions, and we've asked a lot of questions. And then paint a picture. We're trying to paint a picture of what that looks like so that we can have a preferred future where there is a healthy church within walking distance of every African. So Heather and I, we have the opportunity to serve the teams in the Indian Ocean. We have a team. There's a team we serve in Madagascar. Jay Rostifer, I'll talk a little bit about him and Carrie in a little bit in the sermon. But they're planning an urban tribe church in Antananarivo where we live for for 14 years and raised our kids, and that's what they're involved in. Uh, we have some other teams there. We have a, a Bible school. Jim and Meg Thacker lead that Bible school. They train 30 to 35 pastors a year. They graduate, and they go out and plant a church. And so that happens every year. It's a very exciting thing. We have a team on two islands. I can't tell you their name because they're really they're kind of undercover there. One is we call the Forgotten Islands. It's an island in the Indian Ocean Basin, 99.99999, as many nines as you can get. Islamic, but they're there, and it is a beautiful thing to see how they turn every conversation into what Jesus has done to in their life and how Jesus is the hope of the world. There's another team we're getting ready to launch, and I'll talk in a minute about them also. Another island, we call them the Shipwreck Island um, in the Indian Ocean Basin. Once again, 99% with many nines you can put on there, Islamic. And it's exciting to see people following through with what God, with what God has called them to do. The other thing that Heather and I have the opportunity when we're leading and working is missionaries, you can imagine, have problems. Uh, missionaries are not all, uh, we, we have problems. So we help people in their emotional health. We have, we've set up a, a way that people can get counseling, they can get coaching, because they, missionaries run up against uh, problems just like people in the United States do, right? And they, they have challenges. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. We know that in John 10.10. Not just to come and make your life a little difficult, not to make it inconvenient, but he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And missionaries in spiritual environments all of a sudden are faced with things, things that happened in their past. Maybe they've had abuse in their past. Maybe they've been abused in their past. They get to the mission field, and all of a sudden the enemy begins to attack them with those things again. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and we use counseling to be able to help people process that so they can live out the calling that God has placed in their life. Safety and security. I'm going to talk about an event that we had um, in Sudan a few months ago where you're in an environment sharing the love of Jesus Christ and war breaks out. What do you do? We know that the, in Isaiah 32, it says, the noble make noble plans and by noble deeds they stand. The noble make noble plans and by noble deeds they stand. And we have a team of security professionals that have those three-letter words, CIA, FBI, all those kind of things, and they're able to help us get people out of those environments when their life's at risk and they're under fire. Heather leads a, a collective of people that help missionary kids. Kids that grow up in a, a different culture in a different environment are faced with different situations. They don't necessarily fit in in America. They don't necessarily fit in where they're at. They, they, they have different struggles, different things. I'm the only person in my family that is not a missionary kid. Heather is. Um, my kids are, but I'm not. And so Heather helps parents walk through that education, um, marriage, you can't imagine. Missionaries' marriages never have any problems. And you can laugh now. 
Um, you're in an environment, it's, it's unsettling, it's all these things. Mar- we have marriages that become in conflict, and we're able to help them walk in their marriages so their marriages can be healthy and strong. Relational health. You can imagine missionaries would never have a problem and never have conflict, and you can laugh again. There's strong, strong strong-filled people that are missionaries, and then they begin to rub at each other. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And so we want to see them do that in a healthy way, and so we help them in relational conflict. And then the the last thing is spiritual formation. You get to the field, you're you're faced with things that you never dreamed or imagined. The idea, and I think sometimes in America we are more like sheep among sheep and not sheep among wolves. And when you're on the mission field and you become a sheep among wolves, all of a sudden you're faced with spiritual questions that you thought you had an answer to, and all of a sudden you realize that that answer doesn't fit for that context. And we're able to help people process, go back to God's word, and find and help them process and grow in their spiritual maturity. So that's a little bit about what Heather and I do. Um, that's a little bit about our ministry. That's the goal um, in Africa. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that, that's exciting. We continue. We covet your prayers, and thank you for praying for us as we, we seek to see a healthy church planted with walk, in walking distance of every African. This morning, we're gonna, my title of the message is, I had three different messages. The first one I had was I wrote a book, and it was around the message of the book, and then I didn't have peace about that, so I scratched that one. I wrote another message and then scratched that one, and this one is where we're at today. Um, Every summer, the last three or four, not every summer, the last three or four summers, I've asked God to give me a prayer for the summer. And in 2021, when I spoke here, I I shared about the prayer of Jacob, a man in crisis. In 2022, once again, I was praying, God, give me a prayer for this summer, and that was Ephesians chapter 3, and that's the idea of a gratitude, a heart heart filled with gratitude. And the prayer that God gave me for this summer was Psalms 90. It's the only Psalms written by Moses, and we're going to look at that today. And I will believe you will be encouraged. As we read the Psalm, you might think, well, wow, this is not an encouraging Psalm. Um, it is, um, and he has some great things to offer us, and uh, we're going to go through it, I, I, I think, together, and it, it, will be, it will be excellent. So let's, let's read Psalms chapter 90, and the title of the message is How to Have a a faith that's not fragile, or an anti-fragile faith. What we can learn from Moses on having an anti-fragile faith. Psalms 90, verse 1. Lord, through all the generations you have been our home. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from the beginning to end, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. For you a thousand years are as a passing day, as brief as a few nights, hours. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. They are like grass that spring up in the morning. In the morning it blooms and flourishes, but by evening it is dry and withered. We wither beneath your anger. We are overwhelmed by your fury. You spread out our sins before you, our secret sins, and you see them all. We live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a groan. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to eighty, but even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. Hold on, it gets better. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is awesome as the fear you deserve. Teach us to realize the brevity of our life so that we may grow in wisdom. O Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so that we may sing joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. 
Let us, your servants, see your work again. Let our children see your glory. And may the Lord God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. Father, we thank you for a man like Moses that we can look back on his life and see how you intervened, how you shaped his life, and as he, as he wrote this psalm, the lessons he, have learned, he has learned. So, Father, I pray that you use this time not as a, an instructive time or a prescriptive time, but as a descriptive type time that we can see what you did in his life, how it applies to our life, and, Father, how we can grow in a faith that is, that is not fragile, that doesn't fall apart at the, at the first sign of uh, trouble or the first obstacle we run into. But, Father, we will have a faith that is strong, a faith that is strong and mature because of who you are and the promises that you've given us. In your name we pray. Amen. So the idea of an anti-fragile faith um, comes from, I interviewed a lady on the podcast, I think it actually comes out today, Anna Hampton. And so she wrote a book about the idea of facing fear. And the realities of it is the world we live in becomes more and more, you can, be, be, you can fall into fear because there's things that we see, wars, famines, lots of rain. I, we don't have to be afraid of all the rain, but there, there, there's things that go on and we become more fearful. Social media, the things that we see, we're bombarded with more information than we ever have, and we see a culture that has become more and more fearful. And so she wrote this, this book about the idea of facing that, and in our conversation, she talked about having an anti-fragile faith. The idea of fragility is it falls apart really easy. If you have something that is strong, it can withstand rain. It can withstand storms. It can withstand the difficulties of life. And in the reality of it is the true challenges of our lives. I don't know about you, but I had many expectations when I went to the mission field 22 years ago. A lot of those were unrealistic I thought there was a McDonald's in Ouagadougou. There is no McDonald's in Ouagadougou. I had these unrealistic expectations. And then I was faced with, I remember the first time I went into the market, there was a man levitating. I had never seen a man levitating in Wally Ford, West Virginia, or Cumberland, Maryland, or wherever you live. I had never seen a man levitating. All of a sudden, my faith that I thought was strong began to, you began to wonder, is my faith strong enough to withstand this situation? And so as we look at the life of Moses, we see a man that has a firm, strong faith, a faith that is not fragile as he, as he went through many, many things in life. The first thing I think we can see from, from the prayer that Moses shares with us is that God is faithful, that we serve an eternal father that is faithful. He talks about that, God, our life is short, but, but yours is long. And God, you are a faithful father that has seen all generations. And I think that should be encouragement to you and I that we serve a faithful father. Moses, as we saw, he fa he's faced with the Red Sea. He gets there. What does God do? God delivers him. God, God gave him an assignment. What does God do? He continually shows up because we serve a faithful father. I don't know what situation has brought you here today. I do not know what you're facing, but I do know that we serve a faithful father. As Fred shared, I remember one time I was in a different thing going to the bush. We were in a helicopter, and we went up over one of these mountains, and that helicopter dropped like you were dropping a dime out of the sky. And it was falling and flipping and falling and flipping, and I thought, this is it. A boy from Wally Ford, West Virginia is going to die in the mountains of Madagascar, and that's going to be it. But we serve a faithful father. We serve a faithful father. If we're doing what he's called us to do, he is faithful to be with us, and he is faithful to follow through. My encouragement for you today, as you look through the life of Moses, you see the things that Moses was faced with. 
He was a man that recognized that God is faithful. He recognized that, and that's my encouragement to you. Whatever you're facing, we have a faithful father. One of the guys that I was sharing a little bit about, Devin and Ruthie, they're going to an island uh, in the Indian Ocean to, to be one of the first uh, global workers, as we call missionaries now, is the new word so that people don't know what they're doing, which I think they do know what they're doing. But anyway, we call them global workers. And so they're going there because they, they, they have seen the faithfulness of God in their life. They have seen through their generations of their family how God has been faithful to them. And it breaks their hearts as you listen and hear them talk that they have seen the faithfulness of God in their life. But to know that there's an island in the Indian Ocean Basin with thousands and thousands of people that do not know the faithfulness of the Heavenly Father. And that breaks their hearts. And they've said, we want to go to this island. We want to be the people that are pioneers in this area to go plant a church so that these Maotians will know that there is a faithful father and we have a faithful God. And his, he has a son and his name is Jesus. And his son has come to save us. And so Devin and Ruthie are going there with young kids, a young family. There's nobody there to receive them. They're going there with a lot of unknowns. Why? Because they, they have experienced that there is a faithful father. And because they have experienced as their faithful father, they want other, others to know that there's a faithful father. So as you add to your prayer list, add to your prayer list, Devin and Ruthie Lawley and a, a gentleman by the name of Mark Haney. They're going to language school in France. And then within a year, they're going to be landing on this island for the sole purpose of sharing the love of Jesus Christ in a very, very dark place. There have been workers that have tried to go there. There have been workers that have tried to live there. In general, the spiritual environment of that place is strong and heavy. Sickness, dreams, emotional destabilization, all kinds of problems because the enemy does not want light cast into darkness. So pray for them, the faithfulness that they've built their life on as they go there to share that with the people in Mayotte, that God will give them strength and God will give them protection as they share the love of Jesus Christ. So we see in the life of Moses that we serve a faithful, eternal father. The second thing I think we see in his prayer is that, um, that our life on earth is very, very short. Now, this is from a guy that's recognizing that there's more sand on the bottom of the hourglass than on top. I went and got my hair cut the other day. It used to be a challenge. I could just pick out the white hairs. Now I can't. I'm still looking for a, a, a one that's not white. Um, so that's where I'm coming to this prayer from. I'm re I've recognized my life is short, and life is going by quickly. And Moses, he recognized that too. He had been in the desert. He had been, he had saw people live and die. You can imagine all the years that he is in the desert with these people that are whining and complaining and irritating. He recognizes the brevity of life. He recognizes that our life is short, but he also recognized that God had given him a mission and he was going to do it. And so my question for you today is, what mission has God given you? What calling has God given you? And are you reacting to that or are you waiting, waiting for it? Heather and I were talking this morning. She was doing her devotions and we were talking about making decisions. Sometimes we wait because we want things to be perfect. We want things to be all perfect. And I think in life, if we wait for it all to be perfect, we're going to be at 80 years old, 85 years old, still waiting for it to be perfect. Sometimes we have to have that faith like Moses did where he was able to walk out recognizing life is short and I'm going to need to walk in wisdom. We'll talk about wisdom in a minute. But walk in that and do what God has called me to do because our life goes by quickly. And so as we look at that and we process, and now I'm an old guy talking about it, but are you, do we recognize that life is short? And what are you doing with what calling that God has given you? 
you hear me speak any times at all, I always talk about natural talents, acquired abilities, and spiritual giftings. What natural talents has God given you to accomplish what he has asked you to do? What acquired abilities, what are the things that you've learned in your education, in your ta- what are the things that God has given you, what are you using that to do what he's called you to do? In your spiritual giftings, anyone in this room that has accepted Christ, you have a spiritual gifting. He has given you that spiritual gifting for a reason and a purpose, not to put it in our pocket, not to wait, wait for another day. He's put, given us that spiritual gifting to use it because life is short and it goes by quick. What do they say? The days are long, the days are long but the years are short. And the older I get, I realize that the days are long, but man, the years seem to fly by the older I get. And Moses recognized that, that life is short. As, as I said, he was in the desert with, with the people and as he is with recognizing what God had done in his life, but he also recognized that he was given a specific task and he was willing to say, life is short, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. The third thing I think we see in, in the life of Moses is that sin is serious. Sin is serious. Sin has serious consequences that, that I think sometimes in our world today, um, you know, I come in and out of American culture, back and forth in different, and, and from African, Kenyan culture to here, but sometimes the, 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 the sin seems to become very fluid. And we seem to have a higher tolerance for sin without the recognition that, that, that sin is basically a disbelief in God. It's an unbelief in what God has asked us, asked, given us a plan. But somehow we think we know better, and the choices we're going to make are somehow better. But, but do we recognize the devastation that sin causes? The consequences that it causes in people's lives? That is the reality. Aaron, I, you know, I, sometimes I think I know better. Um, I think I can do better. But the reality of it is God has called us to a life that recognized that sin is destabilizing. Sin, is, there's, there's grave consequences. Moses saw that. Right? When he, God asked him what to, he said, Moses, I want you to speak to the rock. When, the, when, they, when they were complaining about not having water, he said, they, he said, I want you to speak to the rock. What did Moses do? He took the staff. He, 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 didn't, he, didn't, he didn't do what God asked him to do because in my experience in life, my past successes often caused me to get in more trouble for the future. Because I want to rely on what, the way God did it in the past without trusting for him to do it in a new way in the future. And so I lean on the past and say, this is the way you did it in the past, and I'm going to do it even when I know he's calling me to something different. He's calling me to something new. He's calling me to believe and trust in him. But I revert back to this because that's where my comfort is at. We also see that in, in Moses' life, is you, you have the, the, the Israelites, they, they, they see the promised land, and they, they send out the spies. You all know it. You've heard it in VBS and Sunday school. You know the story very, very well. But that leads to them wondering. That leads to, a, to, to consequences because of an unbelief in what God had asked them to do. And so my question for us here today is, what is the unbelief in our lives? What are the, what are the areas that we have compromised in, the areas that, that maybe we're compromising in, without recognizing, like Moses shared, that sin has devastating consequences. And it does anger God. You can't read that prayer and say, well, God is not angered by sin. God is angered by sin. And how are we in our lives walking in that? One of those things that happened in the last uh, probably four or five months ago, well, three or four months ago, that I think I I was going to live to be like 82 and... um, 
322 days. And this event probably took 200 days off my life. So I think I used to have nice blonde hair and it all turned white. But there were, we have a, a, a family and there was a team visiting in Sudan. They were there and they were, there's footage of showing in a dark, dark place, stelved in Islam, the church was being planted. People were coming to know Jesus. There was a revival taking place amongst the Sudanese. And within a few days, war breaks out. And so we have a family that has went there. They've recognized that sin has consequences. They do not want to see any Sudanese go to hell because they've not recognized that they have sin in their life. And they say, they've said, we're going to move to Sudan in the middle of a place that is difficult and has all kinds of challenges so that we can share the love of Jesus Christ and that their sin will lead to eternal condemnation. And so they're there, and I get a call. I was outside, and I get a call, and all the airports, the airports are shutting down. And then that led to a series of events, honestly, for like the next 12 to 14 days, very little sleep as we try to get these people evacuated out of this country. But what you say, why would people risk that? Because they recognize that sin has consequences. Sin causes devastation, and it ruins people's lives. And without the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that sin will ultimately lead to an eternal life in hell. And so the family, the Sosa family, they were living in Sudan, sharing the love of Jesus Christ, and shedding a light in a very, very dark place. The fourth thing I think we see in the life of Moses as we walk through that, with that, um, his prayer is, the wisdom is essential. The older I get, the more, the more wisdom I, I want, right? Proverbs 13 talks about the idea, you walk with the wise, you become wise. You walk with fools, you'll suffer harm. It doesn't say you'll become foolish. It says you'll get hurt. If you walk with the wise, you become wise. If you walk with the foolish, you end up getting hurt. More and more in my life, I want to be where wisdom is at. I want to be where people that have the discerning power of the Holy Spirit are at. And as we mature in our faith, we want an anti-fragile faith. Our discernment and our reliance on the Holy Spirit must increase. The Holy Spirit, we're given the Holy Spirit for a power of boldness to witness and share the love of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit also does it, gives us this, a sense, it gives us an, a feeling that, hey, this is what, the direction I want you to go and being able to sense and walk in that in wise, wise decisions. I was in the airport, to lighten the mood a little bit, I was in Nairobi airport with my family and um, I like to go into one place to get these macadamia nuts. In, in Kenya, they have great macadamia nuts. So I took, my family went to the, the place to get coffee. I don't drink coffee. They sit down. I said, I'm going to go to get macadamia nuts. And so I'm walking down this road, walking down the, the hallway, and I get on the elevator. Well, the elevator that I get on is padded. I thought, well, this is odd. You know, I, I, I'm not used to getting on padded elevators. So I get on, and I go to hit the button, and this woman walks in behind me. And she says, hello, my name is Alice, and I'm here to help you, help you have a good time. I said, oh, no, no. I said, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not looking for a good time. And so she starts hitting that button to close, to close the elevator door. I said, no, 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 what are you, what are you doing? She said, no, I'm a nice person. I'm gonna, I mean, you're going to have a good time, da, 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 da. And as she's hitting the close, and I'm saying, no, 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 I don't need to have a good time. I said, I'm married. I went off this elevator. She said, no, no, no. So then her friends come up, and then they block the door. And so they're saying, no, no, it's going to be, it's okay. And I'm thinking, if that door shuts, dear Lord, give me wisdom. So I stick my arm out, and then you know how the beautiful thing is of Elador, they oh, then open back up. 
And I stood in the elevator. I said, no, I'm not, I'm not on this elevator. I, that Alice, she's a nice lady. She'll make you da 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 da, da. I said, I, I don't need any of that. I'm just trying to go get macadamia nuts. I'm not trying. I'm not looking for any of this kind of stuff in the so anyway, they're like, no, 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 it's going to be okay. I said, this is not okay. This is not, this is not, dear Lord, give me wisdom out of this situation. So I walk back up, and Heather and Josiah and Isabel are like, where are the, where are the macadamia nuts? I said, you'll never guess. I met this woman named Alice, and she said, they're like, you're making this up. I said, why would I make this story up? I wanted macadamia nuts, and I am met with Alice on the elevator. It's going to make me... Have a good time, which I was not looking for a good time. You never know when you're going to want need wisdom in your life, especially in, in those type situations with, with, with Alice. But in a more, in a more, probably in a more serious tone, you have to sometimes you have to let lighten things up. In a more serious tone, what 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 are you faced with in your life that you really need wisdom? And when God gives you wisdom, do you act upon? I think one of my biggest challenges in life is when God gives me wisdom, sometimes I begin to, I want to figure it all out. And is it really wise? And is it really the best? Does God really know me? Does God really know the situation? Do I need to fill him in on a few other things? But the reality of it is, God has is, God is given us wisdom. And are we following through with it? Moses was at a place, you see in the story, in the life of Moses, what is, his father-in-law comes and he tries to impress his father-in-law with all he's doing, he's helping all these people, and his father-in-law, what does he tell him? He says, you're not being wise, this is not for one man to do, he gives him a wise way to begin to help make decisions, because he, and he needed to be around people, Moses needed, he needed somebody in his life to give him wisdom, and for you and I, I think we need wisdom in our hearts and lives, and then when God gives us wisdom, he gives us people in our life to give us wisdom. But then do we listen to it? Do we follow through with it? I was glad that day on the elevator when Alice was trying to get me to have a good time. I was able to hear wisdom and get off the elevator. The fifth thing we see in this prayer from the life of Moses is God is gracious. I don't know about you, but I, there has been many, many, many times that I have to call out for God's graciousness in my life. We see in the, with, with the Israelites, Moses, he goes up, he goes up onto the mountain. He goes up on the mountain to, to get the Ten Commandments. What happens? He comes down. They're having, you know, they have the golden idol, uh, calf, all that kind of stuff, drops the tablets, anger, all that situation. But we serve a gracious Heavenly Father, right? Because when he goes back up and he comes back down, he has the Ten Commandments. And I don't know what situations you're faced with today, but I want you to be encouraged that we serve a Heavenly Father who is gracious. We serve a Heavenly Father that whatever you're going through, whatever you've done, we serve a Heavenly Father that is gracious that He gave His Son. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, He didn't just die for some sins. And sometimes I think in the Christian world, we've, we've made some sins bad and some sins okay, semi in this thing. But when Jesus died, He died for all of our sins. His blood covered all of our sins, past, present, and future, because we serve a gracious Heavenly Father. And are you, will, are you accepting the grace of him? One of the things I've struggled with in my life is, is shame and guilt. The devil bringing back the things I've done in the past and bringing those into the present. The things I've done in the past, bringing them into the present. Things I've done in the past, bringing them into the present. And sometimes in the, then in the present, then I'm paralyzed because of what the things have happened in the past. But we serve a gracious Heavenly Father that takes the things in the past and he washes those things away. And he said, because of my grace and because of my mercy, you don't have to carry those today. 
But some of the things that I've heard, you know, you live on the mission field for 22 years, you're going to hurt people. They're going to, you're going to hurt people. They're going to hurt you. You're going to make decisions that were right, wrong, and different. Maybe the best of intentions, but at the end of the day, it still doesn't turn out the way you thought it was going to do. But then I would carry those into the future, into the present that would paralyze my future. And my word of encouragement for you today is we see the life of Moses. Moses made mistakes. There's no doubt about it. He made mistakes. He was doing what God has called him to do. He recognized he had a faithful, eternal father. He recognized life was short. He recognized sin was serious. He was searching out wisdom, but he was still faced with needing to have some grace in his life. And he recognized that God does give a second chance. So if you're or third or fourth or 156, I don't know what chance you're on or what place you're at, um, but he's still a gracious heavenly father. All we have to do is accept the grace that he's given. And the last thing I think we see in this prayer from Moses' life is that there, the, the, with him, there is, there is a possibility for success. That when you read through that prayer in the middle of it, you begin to think, oh, this is kind of not so encouraging of a prayer. Um, days are short, and God's angry. You're going to blow away like weeds. It's, it's not so good. But we see that we have a father that when we walk with him, there is success. And the Heavenly Father's got some thunder out there for us to make us realize that he is, he is still in control, even with the thunder, even the thunder and lightning. There is success. One of the stories I like to share when it comes to this is when we, were one of the, when we first got to Madagascar, I, as, as Pastor Fred shared, I love to go out into the bush and go out and do medical clinics. And we were going out into one of these the areas and sometimes asking good questions. I didn't ask a whole lot of questions in those days. I, they just said, hey, we need to do, do a medical clinic. Let's go do it. I'd sign up. You'd get there and you'd think, maybe I should have asked a few more questions. Uh, and so in this one, you know, on the ride to get there, we're getting there and the people are beginning to tell the, to share the story. And some of you might have heard this story, but it's, it's a good one. And, um, and so we're, we're getting there. They're beginning to tell us, hey, there's been this guy that was turned into a horse by this, this sorcerer. And then we're going there because you're the medical doctor and we're going to pray for them and you're going to help them get better. I'm thinking, whoa, I'm a skin guy. You know, I'm not a turning people from horses back into people and, and raising people from the dead guy. I'm the skin guy. You got a rash or you have acne, man, I'm your guy. But this other stuff, I don't know how this is going to go. So we get, and I said, are you, you know, sometimes things get lost in translation. It's going back between French and Malagasy. And I keep saying, horse? Yes, horse. And, and, and sorcerer, yes, sorcerer. And sorcerers in Madagascar are, are normally women that have, that have been well-fed, and they're naked, and they're in pig grease, and they, they run around the countryside casting curses on people. And so I'm thinking, I, this does not sound like this is going to be a successful thing for me to go on, because I don't, anyway. So we, we get there, and there's this guy in a coma, and um, I begin, we begin to ask the people, because I'm still in disbelief that this is not a true story. And so they began to ask him, and they, everyone in this village tells the exact same story. This man was walking on the countryside, and this woman came up to him and said, the sorcerer came up to him and said, I need you to carry me back to the village. He said, there's no way I can carry you back to the village. She said, if you don't, I'm going to turn you into a horse. He says, I can't carry you back to the village, and that's, that's, that's what, so what the next thing in the village they seen, this, this naked woman that's eaten a lot of food in pig fat come riding into the village on a horse. 
And this village had never seen a horse before. It's not something that they had seen in Madagascar. Horses are not everywhere. It's out in the countryside. They've never seen a horse. So they're drawing the picture on the ground of what this animal, because I kept thinking, horse? Are we talking about the same word? Horse. And they said she arrives in the village, and when she gets in the village, she says, I now have spiritual control over this village. And if you do not do what I, what I say to do, I'm going to turn you all into horses also. The people in the village did not believe her. She tells the story. They don't believe what's going on. And in front of their eyes, she turns the horse back into the boy. And the boy's in a coma. And then we, we're, then we show up, and I'm thinking, oh, my gracious, this is not a success story. We get there. Once again, there's, medically, there's nothing I can do. But it's amazing to see the believers that came with us because they knew that we serve a faithful Heavenly Father. They recognize that, that, that life is short. They recognize that the consequences of sin are the consequences of sin are devastating. When people are following in the occult, when they're they're worshiping ancestors or worshiping the things, there's power there. There's no doubt that there's power there. But that's the amazing thing about Jesus is his power is greater. And they recognize this. And so they begin to pray and they begin to ask God for wisdom. They don't just rush into the situation. They say, We need, we need wisdom on what to do. And I'm saying, Dear Lord, give us wisdom, because there's nothing I can do for this situation. And we stay there and we pray and we pray and pray. And then we, we, we see that, that God is a gracious Heavenly Father and He shows us what to do. And then they go and they lay hands on this young man. And when they lay hands on this young man, the young man wakes up. And the young man wakes up and when he wakes up, he begins to tell the story. Once again, I was walking through the thing and the, just as the sorcerer had said, just as she had said is the same story the young man said. And an amazing thing that happened in that village, what she had meant for the detriment of that village, turned in for its good. Because they began, they planted a church. And it's real easy to plant a church in a community where they've just seen the sorcerer, they've just seen the horse, they've just seen the boy. They had some, some fear and trepidation of what she could do. They wanted a heavenly father that was stronger, that the one that could help them to succeed in life, the one that, would they, that was faithful in their lives, that's the heavenly father that they wanted. Now, most of you in this room today, you're not going to be faced with a, a situation where you're going to be turned into a horse or you know somebody's going to be turned into a horse. But that is the enemy that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And it may look like a different shape in Cumberland, Maryland. It may look like methamphetamines. It might, may look like other things of, of ways that he is using to destroy people. But there is an enemy that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And what we learn from the life of Moses and what we learn from the prayer of Moses is we have a faithful, eternal, heavenly Father. We have life, our lives are short, and we make a choice to follow Him and do what He's asked us to do. We see that sin has consequences. We recognize that we need wisdom. We recognize that we, were, that we serve a Father that is gracious. And with Him, we have hope. 